Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. This week, co-founders Norrin Sanford and Terrence Smith explore the theme of giving new purpose to both those they work with, as well as the physical space they occupy at Growing Change. So I'm Norrin Sanford. I am one of the co-founders of Growing Change, and I'm the executive director. My name is Terrence Smith, and I'm the one of the founding members of GrowingChange.org, and I'm the youth director for GrowingChange.org. Just a little background information. Um, currently, we're in uh, Wagram, North Carolina, and we're uh, sitting inside of a decommissioned prison. This prison has been closed since 2001, um, and it was uh, one of the pri- it was the prison in this area that was responsible for a lot of the roads in this area. Um, there was a lot of uh, prison labor used in the uh, the the early 1900s up until like 1970. Um, not just in North Carolina, all over the southern United States to build the road systems. And there were other things in place, you know, to, to lease out prisoners or what what have you. We're we're using this site trying to um, not only shed light on the forgotten history um, of this area or of this site, but also, you know, um, flip the prison. You know, that's, that's kind of one of our slogans to where, you know, we all live... Well, we all face battles inside of, of, of ourselves, whether it be, you know, smoking or whether it be spending too much money, whatever, whatever. Whatever it is that, that you wish you can change about yourself or that you dislike about yourself, we call that the prison. And and we flip that into something positive, you know, like we're doing with this literal prison here. Um, the plan is to turn into a sustainable form of educational center, kind of like a boys and girls club, but with a more focused approach, you know, the the... the show kids who have been disenfranchised or, you know, felt left out that they have a purpose or a place in this world, you know, and give them an opportunity to first see themselves being different and then practice being different. And um, there's, there's there stands to be numerous learning opportunities in several different fields. Um, we have several um, professional partners um, with universities or companies in general that specialize in certain areas, and we um, call them in whenever we have questions and or if we're starting a project and get stuck. So there's some grade A help available, you know, for upcoming professionals or people trying to find a profession. So I feel like um, the site itself, you know, will be beautiful, but the, the whole mix, mission and, and picture behind it, you know, is is what really sells it and what really brings it home. Man, think back to, <laughs> back to 2011. I mean, what was that? What was that like for you when we first started this idea? How old were you? Mm, if it was 2011, I was, that's five years, I was 15. 15, wow. Yeah, I was young, I, um, as far as how I felt, I don't, I don't know, it's a long time, <laughs> long time ago, I don't, I I, I really you, can't tell you how I could feel. How I was feeling yesterday. <laughs> I took you up to the uh, community garden, right? That oh, that was like that was like 2010. Oh, when we were first setting up for it, right? Yeah, because that was before that was before I, that summer came. It's beginning of the clinical pilot. Yeah, it was program. end of 2010, beginning of 2011. We went out to eat, and he asked me on the way. Whenever we left, he said, I'm going to stop by the community garden. I want you to look at something. And so uh, my family farmed and all of that. So I knew, <clears throat> Norrin knew that I knew about gardening and stuff. And I figured I just need some help with something. So I was like, all right, cool. And we went by the garden. It was empty. Well, the spot that he showed me was empty. 
It was a community garden. Other people had stuff planted. And uh, he was like, I'm trying to remember exact words. He was like, yeah, man, I'm going to get a group together and we're going to come out here. We're going to garden. We're going to give it away. And it's going to be a real laid back group, you know, not going to be too uptight on you. You know, we can joke and, and do all of that good stuff. And he said, I'll feed you. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't got nothing else to do. So might as well go, you know, and meet new people and eat and all that good stuff. So I'm not even sure how long it was before we came out here to the prison, but we didn't know about it at first. We didn't know nothing about the prison or the bigger uh, bigger initiative. And um, whenever we came out here, we was just, it was kind of trippy. It just, uh, I don't know, we thought, we thought no one was tripping. You know, it seemed kind of, seemed kind of far-fetched. But then as we started going through different avenues and channels to make, make shine light on the, the dream, you know, we started seeing how things were falling together and all of that. You know, it became more real. It became something to think about, you know, something to, something to, something of substance, you know. And then once you named it, once we named it, you know, you got to, it just always changes whenever you name something. You know, it's like that stray dog that keeps on coming around your house. It's just a stray dog until you give it a name and start feeding it. And then, you know, you got to start taking care of it then. I remember the uh, meeting when Scotty and you guys came up with the, the name Grow and Change, Grow and Change org. We, what's the first thing you do? You rush to see if the domain is taken right. That to me was kind of a a, a signal there at the beginning that, um, that that we had some traction and permission to come out here was huge. So thought that this was a little wild of a concept. When did it start to change for you? When did it start to feel more real, more possible? Mm, I guess the more we went places. The more we went places, the more we talked, the more we interact with people. Mm. The more I find out about other people and the more I find out about how the whole the system as a whole works, you know, the nonprofit sector and about the relationships and the partnerships and about the opportunities, you know, not just to um better your own organization but to help somebody else better theirs and just the structure behind it, you know. I've always like to think that I have a business mindset and, you know, business as usual or a typical business and the nonprofit business is completely different type of business, but skill sets are similar. So, I mean, things that I had already tried to embed in myself or tried to, to sharpen about myself, they came to light and, you know, this sector or whatever. And it was just, it's different, but I mean, and when I say it's different, I'm not saying like I've been a part of a Fortune 500 company or nothing like that before, but I'm just saying like, I know that it would be different if every day we were working out trying to, you know, generate a profit or if the end of the week we were looking at the receipt book to make sure that we made more than we spent. But the type of work that we're doing is more personal. It's more internal. It's not, yeah, I mean, all that stuff, it matters at the end of the day, but that's not what we're going out here. That's not the mission. That's not, that's not what, that's not really what keeps the lights on, if that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. Right. It's not it's not the driving force behind us now. Like like you always say, like um the Girl Scouts, the the earned revenue stream streams and things like that, you know, Girl Scout cookies. Girl Scouts, that's a non profit, but they sell Girl Scout cookies to, you know, generate funds for whatever it it is that the Girl Scouts need to do, whatever right. they deem, you know, uh reasonable for that money. And so, you know, thinking about ways of generating revenue, that's that's fun and figuring out how these the systems inside of the system, the big system works. It's fun, and um, I just it's 
it's a headache at the same time too, the more I think about it, because you know, all of that math that in my mind I never would have used in school or I never thought I'd use in school, I'm starting to use it <clears throat> a little bit more. But the more that we went places and the more that we really put our hands on stuff, that's whenever it really became real. And the more that I tried to, I saw myself making a a living out of it or using it to, to keep my lights on. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. That's whenever it became real. So, you know, starting out with young men that had been kicked out of home, kicked out of school and put on probation at age 14 or below, you know, our, our originals, they had all been through the struggle. Now, you weren't gifted and talented. You could hang no matter with whatever group we would bring in. But do you think it would have been possible? Would you have felt comfortable with the group at the beginning if we had worked with youth who came from a very game came from a much more privileged background? I wouldn't have fit in a group if I came from a much more privileged background. Yeah. I, I think that was some of the early early magic. Of course it was part of our clinical approach. But I think that's one of the game changers at the beginning. Because everybody could buy into it in a pretty real way. We all had the same amount of net. Mm. And if you're going to make something out of nothing, then we have to be both clever and wise, I think. You know, when Derek and Zeke presented up at MIT, um, it was funny, like MIT came to us and said that we're amazing fourth quadrant innovators. And, you know, you know what we learned to do, thanked them, appreciate it, and then immediately Googled what fourth quadrant was, right? (laughs) I mean, being in a low-wealth rural area I think has been some of our biggest challenges and some of our biggest advantages. You know, we're, we're, we're out of the grid of the standard Wake County, Orange County, Guilford County, Asheville, etc., um, whenever, whenever you say that, it kind of makes me think about um, a little, just a little shtick that I have in my head. You know, whenever you talk about being in a a, a rural, low wealth area, lesser privileged area, you know, you think about, and you say it's been a blessing and a curse, and you think about how nothing's really going on around here. It's a whole bunch of darkness. So, I mean, when it's a little ray of light in a dark room, you'll see that. So that's mm-hmm. whenever I talk to young people, or the more that I talk to young people, I, I just try to get them to. Embody the idea that you know, it's if everybody around you is doing the same thing, whether it be selling drugs or being violent or being in gangs, then you know the smallest thing that you do that's good is gonna you know seem great because everybody around you is doing you know bad or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's so easy to do the right thing, but the little small things you do to, to, to go in that direction, the right direction, you know, people will see it and it'll it'll stand out to them, you know, like. Me, I don't feel like I do a whole lot that's so, so spectacular around my neighborhood, but, you know, people see me at the store and they say, I ain't seen you in a while. Well, I've been working. Oh, I'm proud of it, da, da, da. I mean, yeah, that's not that's not what makes me get up in the morning or nothing like that, but people notice stuff like that. Yeah. And so, you know, just just trying to, the whole saying of getting in where you fit in, you know, if, if there's a hundred people on this bus that's going to prison or the, to the graveyard or wherever it may be, why try and cram on that bus when this one over here that's leading to, the, to success has empty seats on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, it made me think about that whenever you say it's a blessing and a curse.
the larger idea of expansion, you know, there's, if you put a pin in where we're sitting now in Wagram, North Carolina, and draw a circle with a 50 mile radius, there's what, six sites, including this six, one? Six decommissioned prison There's six decommissioned prison sites in the surrounding counties. So, you know, the, um, the larger idea is to, once we, you know, um, make some significant progress on this site, is to reach out to these other communities and to find, you know, a Norn or a Terrence or whatever, whatever it is. They don't have to necessarily be from our same backgrounds, but somebody that has compassion that we can share our insight with. And we're also planning on um, putting together a toolkit to hand off to these communities. So, you know, things that, you know, might have taken us six months that should have taken two months. They won't have to spend an extra four months doing and things of that sort. And also on the backside of that, um, things that if they shave, you know, the six months to if we shave the six months to two months and they can find a way to shave the two months to two weeks, then, you know, they share that information and then we, you know, continue to tweak it and improve it and share it with these different communities whenever we, you know, reach out to them and um, find a team to reclaim the or to flip that prison site, you know, then we'll be able to um, expand the family and expand the the growing change brand as I, as we like to call it. Yeah, and open sourced, an open source model for their teams to lift up where they are, and then we all are in coalition with each other. I think at the beginning we were in such a such a modest, you know, operational position. And we didn't know, you know, we didn't know if we would get permission to even tour the site. We didn't know if we'd be able to rise up the ranks of North Carolina Department of Public Safety's, you know, command chain. Didn't know if we'd be able to interest state leaders in how do we reuse prisons and form a national model for this. Um, it's fragile. And to be together as a team with guys who had come from some serious disappointments in their lives, uh, that was tough to be as clear as we could about what we could control and what we couldn't control. Um, and I think in part it was because of that vulnerability that helped us to be successful and to create a whole lot of win-wins on the way. We have to recreate normal because, you know, normal, normal isn't one of those things to where normal isn't typical. Like you're normal and my normal and whoever else you want to bring into it is normal is not normal i guess that's that's the best way to say it so you know going back to people not believing so to speak you know it's just not normal you know the way that they live their life you know they get up i'm just using an example a lifestyle as an example they get up they go to work they come home they get up they go to work they come home you know they don't think outside of that box and then you have that other group of people who you know don't even have they they go to work get off that job go to another job Try and get some sleep, have to worry about kids and all other kinds of things. You know, so normal is just uh, it's, it's just something that we have to create. And we need to change the minds. And just like you were saying, implementation, you know, that, that will help reframe what is normal in Scotland County and hopefully what is normal in North Carolina and then hopefully what is normal in rural areas, period. You know, just to, just to reinvent the whole the whole spectrum, reinvent across the whole spectrum. Yeah, and to, and to disrupt, to disrupt that, those systems that would put us in a normal that shouldn't be normal for a lot of people. All right. Well, I think that's kind of, 
our opportunity to be in such an unusual place and such a powerful mission. Where do you where would you see us in like five years? What would that what would that look like? How old would you be? Five years? In five years I'll be about to turn twenty eight. Five years, I don't know. That's a long time. So mm -hmm. our front guard tower would be a climbing wall and repelling station by then. Well yeah, I mean hopefully a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I mean, I'm trying to zero in. I just don't I don't I haven't sought set a personal goal for myself within growing change for growing four five years from now. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm I'm sitting here trying to think about not as a site but as a as a me within mm -hmm. growing change. I just hope it's more of a more of a day area if that makes sense. Like more of a place where more people are during the day. Yeah, creating the opportunities for people to come out. Whether it's the bike trails or the Yeah, just more of a yeah. open a more of a public space. You yeah. know, it feels private. Yeah. As of now. Um I just I hope that, you know, if not all, at least one of our revenue streams is perfected, mm -hmm. you know, to where we can, you know, seriously have some projections and some plans for, you know, reaching our goals and things, you know. Creating the full-time employment, part-time employment. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's, you know, for me, obviously as a mental health therapist, you know, to be able to augment success uh, for youth that are coming from challenges by bringing in a, a real job opportunity. You know, that I, I think that's, we can incentivize people getting through the systems that they want to get through, that we want to empower them to get through and help them avoid the systems that we're trying to help them avoid. And it, you know, but that's almost like reversing the poles here when you're dealing with areas that struggle like we do in Richmond County, Scotland County, mm -hmm. Robinson County, the Columbus region. County. Yeah, our whole region. Uh, but it, yeah, I think it gets back to what you what you were saying earlier about hope. You know, when people lose hope, it creates a vacuum, and some grim, grim things can come into that vacuum. You got to reverse that. And I think doing something audacious like this is is a mechanism for doing it. And people get really excited about the lifestyle. And I think it decisions made early on, clearly having some of our, you know, niche ag permaculture with a lowercase p approach could have been done in a much less complicated space, but this is exactly where we need to be doing this in an old field camp prison. You know, we're passionate about that. And North Carolina used more forced prison labor than any other state in the nation to build its road system. And that, that story really wasn't being told until our team started working with some leading PhDs and students out of UNC Greensboro, one of the leading museum studies programs in the country, to lift up you know, the history of the field camp prison and how the field camp prison is that, that link, right? That link between our history of chattel slavery in the past and all through the Jim Crow South when you could get arrested for being a suspicious person. It seemed to happen a lot more if you're a person of color. No surprise.
and then to our current rate of mass incarceration in the United States that finally is starting to have some discussion around it, right? And the disproportionality within that system. I think you exactly have to take this back. You have to take back these spaces. And it was interesting that the MIT Urban Studies folk would say that was redeploying the narrative, right? We, we redeploy the narrative as we redeploy um, the hard assets of this site. At least that's what I tell myself when I'm having to deal with all the challenges of remediation. And <laughs> what do you do with the 1920 cell block? But I think, I think that was the right decision for us. Stand by it. And, and strategically moving forward, you know, where are these closed prisons that are not being reused? They're in rural areas. They're often in rural areas of color. They're often in low-wealth rural areas of color. And they're often connected to wetlands um, because that's where the cheap land was in the 1920s. So this is a national opportunity to help philanthropy uh, make some impacts in places that don't benefit from the focus funding and philanthropy of our, of our urban neighbors. Um, I think it's an incredible opportunity. I feel like another thing that I, I kind of just thought about this, but you know, as it gets larger and get more people involved in the, to have some kind of data hub to where we can, you know, not to, not to take light from anybody else's stats, but find a way to generate some of my own stats, you know, using our own, I'm not sure, it's a term for it. Yeah, well, when we were 92% effective over a five-year longitudinal period, preventing entry into the adult correctional system. I mean, that's that's, that's a pretty serious statistic. No, but I mean, like, far as uh, what's, what's one of the ones, like, how they say that Scotland County is, what was it, 98th in health outcomes. All right, we'll take that. Robert Wood Johnson. we take that and then find out, okay, what were the outcomes, you know, how many, out, out of, out of a population of however many people, how many people have diabetes, how many people have right. whatever, whatever, and then out of that population, what are the outcomes? What are the general outcomes of you know diabetes patients? What are the general outcome of cancer patients? Things like that, and then I don't know, just get get deeper into the research, you know, because we've had a conversation. I think it was last week about research or you know some of my questions with research. I guess mainly just have the capacity to. The research, the research, or the conduct research of research. I guess that's what I'm kind of yeah, trying to compile it, and, yeah, yeah, review it. Yeah, and again, capacity, right? That's the other stuff that keeps me up at three o'clock in the morning. The not so fun stuff. It's ironic that you know, folks can get behind you in so many ways, but covering your operational costs—that's the. That's the initial challenge in startup, and I. Uh, it falls to 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 us, falls to me to, kind of be able to. Communicate that in a more effective way. Mm-hmm. Our right, so YouTube series we got. Prison cells to aerated compost bins. I mean, that's, that's tight, and then that will be flowing directly into the vermicomposting. That's a whole series in and of itself. We got the rotational grazing with the sheep flock, the role of guardian animals. Building a chicken coop. Yeah, the whole pasture chicken piece. We got, you know, I think as we 
can connect to and bring folk in as far as the animal therapy piece. That could be a... We've yeah. already seen some of that power. The greenhouse. Yeah. Greenhouse on the roof. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's, we need to make some kind of leeway with that if they want plants for the spring. Yep. I mean, we need to yep. get the construction and, and growing started or, you know, begin to think about that kind of stuff. Cause, I mean, yeah, by the end of next month, we've got to have... Yeah. You know, plants going down the uh, the yarn right the whole shearing maybe we need to bring somebody in this year as far as the professional shearer goes it's, I think that's that's might be a good investment yeah because I'm not shearing <laughs> yeah the uh and just rendering that to yarn, I think that's going to be amazing. Yeah, learn how to process it. Mm -hmm. I think our hydroponics, you know, whether we do a full aquaponics system or a decoupled aquaponics system or aquaculture system, either way, I, I think we will be able to harvest a lot of the heat coming off the compost. And I think that's going to open up the cell block an opportunity to reuse that in a way that is unexpected, you know, with low to no cost inputs. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff. I feel like we need to just sit down one day and just walk around and look at stuff and figure out, first off, what would we like to see here? I mean, we've already started doing some of that, but like right. things that are already in place in some of these areas, like, you know, we, before we start thinking about a sale for a compost bin, we should have already looked at the, at the bed and said, okay, you know, how are we going to get this out? Things like that, as far yeah. as things in different areas. Um, we've got the soil tests and um, samples and things secure, so we know about as far as growing areas and spaces. But just to really look inside of these buildings and find out, you know, what, start looking at what needs to be done to uplift them or to, to, to upfit them into, and I'm not saying this between us, this is more so with a larger group, you know, because, you know, with the newer guys, they might not have. They might have looked around and saw, but they might not know exactly, you know, what yeah. we've decided already as a group as to what yeah. this this yeah. area is dedicated for. So take the MIT plans and start to strategize what yeah. comes next. Yeah, I think is our next piece. MIT is ready for a meeting now that they've completed their, um, you know, the master's level thesis stuff. Um, but to kind of, and then like, whole another thing is what can we produce from here? I mean, not only only a grower site but also a maker site right i mean we put 60 ton 60 ton of agricultural lime down so ph is going to be where we need it to be in about four months um but we've got to start getting the pasture up to support the increase in flock um, and then that creates further opportunities and the, are we ready to start working with herding dogs you know is that we're obviously interested in that for the animal assisted therapy piece. Um, but is it a donkey on a tramplet? Yeah, we gotta figure out how do we, how does a herder work around a, a very protective donkey? Doesn't one cancel out the other? Since you got one, you don't need the other. Well, that's a good question. The the herding dog is designed to help us move for the rotational grazing, and the the. Uh, Guardian animals designed to protect for the coyotes and whatnot, wild dogs. And, you know, we've already seen that Miss Easter's 
pretty much uh, pretty much capable of that. We gotta train, get the sheep trained to the hot wire so that they can train the new ewes coming in. Uh, we're behind in that, and that's got to be, you know, probably by next month. What's the word on the Icelandic shoot? What was it, Icelandic? You talking about Gold, Gold Coast? Coast? Yeah, yeah, that was. Um, we're on the waiting list, so you know, per what the group decided last week, we want to expand by ten ewes. Not tackle any lambing this year. Get our lambing barn up, upfitted. You know, in the old trailer. Um, then I think we'd be ready to go. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate everything. Exciting days, man. Exciting days. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to spend them any other way. Look forward to the, uh, the next time, next year, next check-in. And, you know, it's always great just, you know, for any type of light in a positive way to be shed, you know, in a rural area because, you know, it's, we're generally forgotten about. And, um, you know, just to be thought about and to be included is always, you know, wonderful. So, you know, that's that's another another piece. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Experience. If you like what you hear, please support our work. You can rate us on iTunes, share us with a friend, and donate to the project at go.ncsu.edu forward slash give to PJ. TNE is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear. Our graduate editor is Kristen Gullihue. Our graduate assistant editor is Preston Whitwer, and our multimedia producer is David Mueller. This episode was produced by David Mueller, who also wrote our theme music. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience, and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.